What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Dean Dome Sports. This is Mike Dean. This week's episode, I'm going to recap the Super Bowl. I did not get a chance to do this last week. I apologize for that. But there's a lot of stuff I got to get to on the the Super Bowl subject uh, in, in recapping. Most of which will be what a certain uh a certain let's just say fellow broadcaster uh he's a he's got his own show on Fox Sports uh used to be on ESPN his name's Colin Cowherd and he hosts a show called The Herd um where on that show the day after the Super Bowl he basically came out and said that there's no basis for Bengals fans and any fans in general to be outraged at what happened in the final two minutes of that game where all of a sudden uh, yellow handkerchiefs started flying through the air and landing on the ground in favor of only one team, mind you. Um, so, the, yeah, the, that one team obviously not being the Bengals because why would Bengals fans then be outraged if they, they were the recipient of those, or if, if they were the beneficiary of these flags? So, I'm just going to get right into it. Um, Super Bowl was contested by... The Rams, Los Angeles Rams, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, final score was twenty three twenty in favor of the Rams. It was a pretty much a back and forth game, and really leading up to those final two minutes, you could make the case that there were definitely some questionable plays where. Flags could have been thrown, but weren't. And yeah, so let's just get right into it. Um, first, first drive of the game for the Bengals. They moved down the field, and they had. A wide receiver, T. Higgins, potentially going in to the end zone to catch a pass by Joe Burrow. And Jalen Ramsey tugged on, I'm going to guess like an undershirt or maybe it was like a towel that uh, the receiver had off of his uniform. But technically it's part of his uniform when the player is running. Needless to say, anyway, he tugged on something. It was obvious. Referees didn't throw the flag, though, which caused Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels. Uh, Chris Collinsworth, the main one being he, who has a football opinion that I carry more weight than Colin Cowherd's by far. 
The guy played in the NFL, and he's been broadcasting for the NFL now for over two decades. So let's just be real here. If Chris Collinsworth says anything on a broadcast, I'm paying attention, one, because he knows more about the game than any of us do. And really, and and so it, the play begged, caused Colin Cowherd. I mean, the the play caused Chris Collinsworth to say, "Hmm, I guess the refs are going to let these guys play today." Now, for him to say that, that's profound. That means that he thought that there was an infraction on that play that was that should have been called. And wasn't. So for Colin Coward, now the, the, the one play in particular that has Bengals fans in particular and many fans in particular questioning what was going on in those final two minutes during that last drive by the Rams was a first and goal. It may have even been a play that caused first and goal, but it was first and goal, and linebacker for the Bengals, Logan Wilson, sees Cooper Cup running his route, and he sees the ball coming. Now, he has his left arm on his left side, and basically was using it to... to as a kind of to, to 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 brace himself as he went to bat the pass down. Now, looking at multiple replays of it, it did not seem that Cup's progress moving forward was more prevented on that than. What Jalen Ramsey did when he tugged on the shirt, undershirt of T. Higgins, the shirt under his jersey, where his momentum had stopped, allowing Ramsey to bat the pass down. So I'm, I'm saying, if you don't call the Ramsey one, then you can't call that one, because it was not as obvious. And in any sense, now Colin Cowherd is bringing up a play that happened in the first series of the second half where the same two individuals of the play that I mentioned in the first half, T. Higgins and Ramsey, Ramsey was again guarding T. T Higgins on a deep ball. Now, these guys are hand-checking the whole time that the ball's up in the air. They're, you know, fighting for position. They both jump up, and Higgins, for a split second, seems to have his hand in the face mask of Ramsey. Now, it is not clear to me whether he tugged, or there was a, a blatant tug of the face mask. It seemed like he, he was going up for the ball. His one hand kind of got caught in the face mask. And he see he was able to you know maneuver it out, uh, 
and then catch the pass. Now, Rand, you know, of course, Ramsey embellished to, to show that, you know, you talked my face mask. Blah, blah, blah. Now, Colin Cowherd is saying that that non-call was by far more egregious than any any non-call or call that happened against the Bengals' favor. So he was basically saying that since the Bengals got that call in their favor, then there's no reason for Bengals fans to complain about anything else the rest of the game, more or less. You know, where he's... Now, here's my take on that. Now, I'm almost certain that during the halftime show, while everybody's in their locker rooms or whatever... The refs probably are being shown the replay of the missed holding call that would have been a touchdown in that first quarter. To where maybe there's, you know, some talk in the locker room, the ref's locker room, you know, maybe some, there's some, maybe Goodell got involved, who knows. But maybe there's like, listen, we see you're letting the guys play, but if you see something obvious, an obvious infraction, then you, you got to call it. Now, fast forward to that play where T. Higgins caught the ball and got a touchdown where there is it to what would be the naked eye and a, you know, a person, a, a casual fan, you could maybe make the case that he grasped the face mask, which is a personal foul, which is a big call, which is a big penalty call, yes. But my take on why the refs didn't call that was because of the first non the first holding non-call that would have been a touchdown. It was basically your makeup non-call. In essence, so the, you know, it evened things out. The Rams benefited for the first non-call. Now the Bengals benefited from this one. Yeah, just probably my analysis and me trying to maybe get into the refs' heads here. So we fast forward to the final two minutes of the game. The 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 big drive for the Rams to try to 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 take the lead, all of a sudden there's laundry everywhere. When we had 58 minutes of gameplay where there was just about zero laundry, no, no yellow flags thrown. And that is, that is my simple beef where all of a sudden flags are being thrown and it's only benefiting one team in each case. Now, this holding call called on Logan Wilson, the linebacker, rewind that play to the, to the snap of the ball. Look on the line. Look, you know, before this ball is snapped, all of a sudden you see every offensive lineman move before the ball is snapped by the center. That, if, if, if all of a sudden you're called a game tight now, 
Well, that's a that's a call that has to be called. You have two line judges, you have a referee in the back, two line judges, and an umpire. That's four guys watching the the ball being snapped, and no flag. Really, it should have been a dead ball five yards back. They're out of the goal area. All of a sudden, you're down. You're back to the thirteen yard line at that point. So. Colin Coward, you're not mentioning even that. Again, a a non-call there that benefited the Rams. All right. Rams score the touchdown. Cooper Cup scores the touchdown to, to, to take the lead. Let's fast forward to the final drive by the Bengals. Where... After my rant against Colin Coward, I will bring up a pretty big coaching gaffe, I would say, by Zach Taylor and a lack of personnel, mind you, that 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 I noticed in the, the last series of downs. But let's fast forward. Bengals are driving to get to to uh, get into field goal range to tie the game. They get a first down, and then you have the final series of doubts, uh, where they uh, a couple short passes, and all of a sudden it's third and one. They try and run the ball with Samaje Pirine, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, the backup running back, who I do understand that for the majority of the season, he was your third down back and your back on the field for your two-minute offense where you're going no huddle. Okay. Again, it's Samaje Pirine. It is the fucking Super Bowl. Arguably your best offensive player the entire game, your most effective anyway, was your starting running back, Joe Mixon. So, if you're trying to only get one yard for the first down to keep the game going, keep you know, keep your hopes alive, don't you put Joe Mixon in there for to get the first down? They but they were pretty much effective at running the ball when they made it part of the game plan, they were effective doing it. They, they, Joe Mixon had over four yards per carry, which is really all you need as a running back. If you're four yards a carry or more, you are, you are, you are being effective in the running game against the defense. Okay. That, that, that play don't work. Go to fourth and one. Fourth and one, ball snap. Joe Burrow, you know, there's pressure already. Donald's in his face, so, you know, Donald's chasing him. He goes out of the pocket. He tries a a desperate underhand flip as Donald has him in his grasp. We'll rewind it a little bit to to the snap of the ball. Aaron Donald is lined up in the neutral zone. That's a five yard penalty. Game can't end on a five yard, game can't end on a defensive penalty, by, by the way. Now, on that 
that play. If Burrow had any kind of time to to view his options down the field, he would have seen that Jalen Ramsey had fallen. Who he was he, at the time he was covering Jamar Chase on the sideline. Jamar Chase was wide open and was going to be wide open potentially for a game-winning touchdown there. All I'm saying, all I'm saying, if you're calling a game tight, don't you call the nose tackle, the all-pro nose tackle, lined up in the neutral zone literally with his hand less than a foot away from the freaking ball? How do you miss that? Again, another non-call that benefited the Rams. Everything that was called or wasn't called in those final two minutes benefited one team. Now, you said, what's the outrage then? Well, here's your outrage. The pregame line, you know, the, you know, who was favored was the Rams by four and a half. So the Bengals had covered the spread in that regard. Your over-under was 46, some places 46 and a half. Why is that important? Well, your final score was 23-20. 43 points. That was your under. And I'm... It came out that Vegas made over $7 billion off of the sports betting for the Super Bowl. Now, I'm pretty darn sure, you know, as a guy who, who, who occasionally will, will throw a bet down, I'm pretty darn sure that a vast majority of the betting public took the over in that game. Seeing that it was 40, 46, 46. Guaranteeing there was more overbets than underbets. Why is that important? Vegas wins. Vegas wins. If you if you if you bet the over and it become and it, and it doesn't hit, Vegas takes all that money. The fix was in, folks. The fix was freaking in. There was no chance, no chance. Vegas was not going to allow the Bengals to even get a sniff of being able to tie that game or even win it. Not a chance. So it's real, really, really, really easy for the Mr. Condescending Elitist Colin Cowherd and his posh, upscale, fancy studio in L.A., by the way, to then sit on his little high pedestal podium that he sits on desk and talk down to your the minions saying you have no right to be outraged at the referees or the you know or any of these calls blah blah get the fuck out of here yeah pencil neck 
guarantee you never put on any kind of shoulder pads or a helmet in your entire life. I bet you didn't even play Pop Warner. I bet you you never even put a, a, a waist belt on that had flags on it for flag football. So don't you don't you don't you sit in your little condescending chair and tell me how uh, what I can be outraged at and what I can't be outraged at. My two eyes saw what I saw. These two eyes rarely, rarely ever lie when it comes to watching sports. Understand? I'd go to bat with sports knowledge against Colin Cowherd every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And I know I'd win. That's how confident I am in my in, in, in my knowledge. So I think we just about covered, I think, that. Oh, 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 by the way, let me give a big shout out to that wonderful fan base in L.A., your, your L.A. Rams fans who showed up in, who showed up supporting their championship winning football team for their parade. Anybody catch that? How pathetic was it at attendance? You want to talk about a myopic. I'm not even going to go myopic. How about a piece of shit fan base? Okay? Your LA fan base. Piece of shit. You, You don't even show up. You don't even show up to the championship parade? Give me a don't even, don't even, don't even try, don't even try the COVID nonsense on that nonsense. Get the hell out of here with that COVID, my ass. Pathetic, pathetic fan base. That that Super Bowl, that Super Bowl win by LA was for your Hollywood elites, all your. Uh, all your uh, mask-wearing celebrities that showed up at the game. <laughs> That's called sarcasm. That's what that Super Bowl was for. That was that was for your uh, your cultural elites there, who don't who don't they don't give two shits about that about that team. It was the most pathetic attendance for a Super Bowl parade than. The one I saw for the New Jersey Devils Stanley Cup winning parade when it was when 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 the parade happened in the parking lot of their freaking stadium. Freaking joke. So yeah, I'm I'm uh. All over Callan Coward on that. I got, I'm going to roast him again here in a, in, a, in a minute or so. But I I do have to give some uh, culpability to Zach Taylor for his inexpl- inexplicably leaving Joe Mixon off the field during that final series of downs. Doesn't make sense. He was your best weapon. 
throughout most of the game against that defense. You know, there, there's no, there's no explanation you could give in my mind that 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 covers why he was not on the field. Don't even give me Samaje Piran, please. He's not even going to be probably on the team next year. So, moving on from from the Super Bowl here. And yesterday, this comes over my my timeline on Facebook somehow, and um, I even I even saw video footage of of again Colin Coward, the the guy, the the the, the apple of my eye right now, the uh, the the target of my wrath. Let's just say. This guy, this guy had the nerve to go on his show yesterday and basically sit and be a hypothetical general manager for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, starting next week, I will be doing a, uh, I guess, a, a, an, an off-season slash draft preview of all, the, all of your team's I'm going to go by division. Don't know which division I'm going to start off with next week. Uh, but whatever. But each week I will uh, do one division. And their off-season preview. You know, basically going through all their free agents. Uh, what kind of cap room they got. And, you know, basically just, you know, what each team has to do leading up to the draft. So this so this guy decides he wants to sit in Howie Roseman's chair as the GM of the Eagles. And he comes out and says, now, those who don't know, through trades and whatever, the Eagles have three first-round picks this year. Kind of a big deal, but you know, they're all, they're not even high draft picks, really. They're, they're, they're all in... After uh, fifteen, so I mean they're they're mid range. So again, this guy Colin Coward never were never never been any kind of front office exec in in, a, in on a Super Bowl team in his life. He comes out and says that he would trade. They're all pro corner, Darius Slay, a guy who had a great year this year. Pro Bowl cornerback. You know, the guy who plays defensive back. Trade him all three first round picks in this year's draft and a first in next year's draft to acquire Russell Wilson, the quarterback from Seattle, who's 33 years old. Now, It is so baffling when a guy whose opinion, sports opinion, who you, I've watched his show many times before. You know, 
I differed with his opinion every so often, but you know, respected it anyway. Thought maybe he came from a place where he kind of maybe knew what he was talking about. But, jeez, you know, for one, for him to, to say the nonsense he said after the Super Bowl in the most condescending way possible, one, kind of was, wasn't surprising anyway, because I, you know, one, I knew his studios in L.A. He's an L.A. shill now. He has no, he, he has no opinion that where he will ever, ever think outside the box anymore. He is, he, those who know him know he is an elitist sports, he's about as elitist in the sports realm as you could possibly get. Like, this guy, he roots for the Cowboys, he roots for the Patriots, uh, the NBA, he roots for the Lakers, you know, he, he is he is an elitist jackass, basically, um, won't ever, ever pull for an underdog ever in his life. Probably never has. He, he just, he is an, he is an elitist pompous ass. So knowing that he comes from that realm for him to say that if I'm the GM of the Eagles, this is what I would do. One, you obviously have completely forgotten the most lopsided of trades in NFL history, the Herschel Walker trade to the Vikings, and how that destroyed basically the Vikings for over a decade, possibly even two decades. And just, and then how it propelled Dallas to all their Super Bowl wins in the 90s. Just what a horse's ass to suggest that if I am the GM of the Eagles, I make this move for a guy who's, let's just say it, Russell Wilson, he's on the downturn of his career. He's 33 years old. The best you're going to get from Russell Wilson is years behind him. Now, the guy is still a good quarterback, but is is he really, at this point, that much better than Jalen Hurts? Is he? He won six games for Seattle last year, having two of the best wide receivers you could possibly have in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and having a pretty good running game with Chris Carson and then later on in the season with Rashad Penny who had almost who had over a 200-yard game in a win, one of their six wins. Now I said this before in a previous podcast that I thought that there was some friction going on between Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf after seeing one of their games on Monday night on a Monday night football game. And I still believe that to this day, I still believe that there was something going on there that, that, that something, you know, because Russell Wilson wasn't even looking in DK Metcalf's direction for many of the plays of that game. And DK Metcalf was roaming free. Like, don't tell me that what my eyes saw 
they didn't see. I saw what I saw. And he, he didn't even include Jalen Hurts in this deal to go back to Seattle. So see, you would think that Seattle is just going to get you know trade away Russell Wilson for a whole bunch of picks, you know, for this year and uh, one next year. And they think maybe he thinks maybe what they're somehow in, with with one of those they're they're going to get Russell Wilson's replacement, or well they're going to get David Carr or Derek Carr. Come on, just yeah, just, just stop with the just, just stop, Colin Coward. All all of what this would do is would make Dallas the perennial, you know, NFC East division winner for the next five to ten years. Yeah, that's basically what you want because you're an elitist, pompous tool bag. Teams don't do the last time anybody made this kind of deal was the Saints when they went when they would when they drafted Ricky Williams they gave up a, they gave up the rest of their draft. How did that work out? The teams that do these type of moves and give up all the picks and draft picks and stuff they don't ever become successful. I'm taking my chances with Jalen Hurts. The guy won a national title for Alabama. That's got to kind of mean something, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Like, I mean, I know Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa get all the freaking praise in the world because of the, their championships. But the one that Jalen Hurts won because Tua got hurt, well, that doesn't matter? Anybody who thinks that deal that Colin Cowherd proposed that he would do, anybody, even him, if he thinks that Philly wins doing that, does not know football. Should not be talking about football. Period. End of story. So, so, so those who uh, are with me in, in, in kind of disliking Mr. Pompous Toolbag in L.A., Colin Coward, you're going to enjoy this podcast because I pulled no punches today, you know. So... Honda Classic is going on right as we speak. Uh, I'm just going to give you what my lineups were, um, what I'm thinking, what I was thinking when I did them. Uh, In DraftKings, my main guy is Daniel Berger. Basically, this week, yeah, you're not. It's a very light field as far as your top tier PGA PGA guys. It, It. yeah, there's Sung J M, who is a former champion. Daniel Berger is a former runner-up. 
Keith Mitchell, a former champion. Matt Jones, a former champion. And I have all these guys. Uh... I believe his name's Charles Seifert. He's my dark horse. He finished third here a couple years ago. And, yeah, I mean, he was the low, one of the lowest possible values. So, he's a guy, you know, if you guys decide to try and play something, you know, in the next few days, you know, second, third, or fourth round, look at those guys. Uh, that's my DraftKings. And FanDuel, I went with uh, Joaquin Neiman, who won the, the tournament last week. Went with him and Daniel Berger. Um, I also went with Seaford as my uh, dark horse. I also threw in some Brian Harmon, Garrick Higo, and Taylor Moore. This guy, Tyler Moore, he... he uh, He's been he's been kind of lurking in the top 20, 25 realm uh the past few tournaments that he's entered so it's a, it's kind of a flyer on him and we'll just see we'll just see what happens so that is the end of this podcast it's a short one this week next week we will be st- I will be starting uh off-season previews and draft uh, off-season and draft preview I will be uh, taking one division at a time and you know basically running through running down through each team's free agents uh, cap space what they need going and then that'll lead up to uh, a draft preview podcast the week of the draft. So I thank you, my listeners for listening this week. And again, thanks for tuning in.